Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about Just 
There we go. Welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong, and on with me is Thomas Smith. And Thomas was here in St. Louis with me uh, the past few days. We attended a very, very awesome event yesterday. And uh, if I ramble today, it's because I am terribly tired and I'm trying to catch up on some sleep. But uh, we'll see. If sleep overtakes me, you're just going to hear a whole lot of, whole lot of rambles. It's not like I'm going to sleep. I'm just going to keep talking about anything. <laughs> so how are you doing, Thomas? You make it back to Kansas City all right? Oh, yeah. I've got a really slow computer, so I'm going to probably have to restart it. But anyway, um, yep. We had a good event. Um, we have two phenomenal guests, um, uh, Mr. Alan Parker and um, Pat Upchurch, uh, who's going to tell her post-abortive story from a, pers- from a perspective that you don't really hear about a whole lot. And... Um, so, before we get to that, Leticia, why don't you open up with the word of prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the opportunities that you give to us to share life together with amazing people with just the biggest hearts for Christ and the biggest hearts for caring for the needy and the weak and the helpless, and that includes the unborn. And we pray, Lord, that we dedicate our words and our lives to to the defense of those who cannot defend themselves. Lord, you have charged us with a very special ethic to live out and uphold, and that is to be a voice for the weak, because you you have been an advocate for us when we have been weak and helpless in sin. And, and being as it, in our sinful nature, we still are that way. You still love us anyway. And, Lord, we can, I pray that we can be faithful to you and love others the way you love us. So I pray that this time that we use share to share our stories, to share our commentary, to share our words and, and thoughts with each other, Lord, that help us to use that time wisely. In your holy son, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Hold on. Your, our you know scripture for goes. today. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. And God said through the prophet, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. So, Letitia, um, before you do your commentary, would you like to bring um, Alan on? Because I know that he has a limited amount of time. Because he's sure. on the line. So you... All right. Well, 
am on the line. Alan Parker, once the again. I am pushing the button. Okay. All right. Now I see his mic on. <laughs> I was yep. like, hold on, hold on. All right. Alan Parker, welcome to the Pro-Life Fridays radio program. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys. It was great to see you in St. Louis in person and now to be with you tonight. Thank you. Well, I am honored. I think we were both honored uh, that to be at uh, the luncheon yesterday with you and listening to you speak and having the opportunity to say a little bit about Pro-Life Fridays Radio was uh, was a just tremendous honor for me. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, on the show today to tell us a little bit about what you're doing here in St. Louis uh, tonight and tomorrow and how if we have listeners who would like to kind of join us uh, for the weekend activities to give us that information and just share a little bit. You know, I got a glimpse of your heart this week, and it was really touching. So please uh, share with our audience what what you are thinking and, and your aims and your, your hopes for this weekend are and why you're in town. Well, I think St. Louis is a very special place in God's plans, and I think Missouri is a special state. And we're right in the heartland of America here. This is the gateway to uh, the heartland. And then the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals is actually located in St. Louis. That's the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. And that is a gateway to the Supreme Court. Now, mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? Um, we've really been blessed since the beginning of this year since January 22nd of this year, which was the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, we've been blessed with an explosion of really pretty radical, outside-the-box pro-life legislation, which is now on its way through the court system to the United States Supreme Court. Whenever we pass pro-life legislation, the pro-abortion lobby goes to court, Sometimes they win at the trial court, sometimes they don't, but often they get a trial court to strike down the law at first, and then the state has to appeal in one of the places for North Dakota, South Dakota, Arkansas, Minnesota, Montana, and uh, Missouri is coming right through here, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, on the way to the United States Supreme Court. And this, I actually came up here to pray for that court, to encourage the citizens and pro-life war, prayer warriors to pray for that court. And uh, Saturday morning, we're going to be praying with the Brown, Bound for Life group uh, on the sidewalk in front of that court in the city of St. Louis. Wow, wow. And I am just, I was very taken aback pleasantly surprised that we had representatives of um, several states here in St. Louis as far away as Alaska. Did I hear that right? (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, Exactly right. And um, that she is one of the women of Operation Outcry, which is a project of the Justice Foundation to encourage women who've had abortions to tell their stories and publicly to let the courts know that what they thought was helping women instead is a doorway to pain and suffering. And that's why Roe and Doe can be overturned. 
Because when you learn through experience that a court opinion is wrong, you reverse it. Uh, there's no right to abortion explicitly in the Constitution. It was just a Supreme Court decision that created it, and the other side is very worried because that can be changed by five judges on the court at any time. And I right. believe that some of some of the legislation that was passed could very well end up doing that. We had an explosion on March 6th. The Arkansas ban on abortion after 12 weeks was passed over a governor's right. objection. Uh, that's right. now in a trial court in Arkansas, and uh, it's on its way here. So we're kind of giving your listeners a heads up on what's coming up in the future. And I think it's neat of God to, tell, to call us to prayer to prepare the way for those cases. And about six weeks after March 6th, North Dakota passed a ban on abortions after six weeks. And that would stop about 90 to 95% of abortions. And right. that's a very dr- dramatic case. That also will come to St. Louis eventually. And um, probably six, seven months from now, hard to say. It's hard to judge how long a court case will take. Uh, right. But it's on its way. We, we know it's there. The North Dakota legislature passed a $400,000 appropriation to defend that statute all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And like I say, it will go through this court. And the court, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals is actually a pretty good court right now. It's already mm-hmm. upheld two very important cases in the past. Uh, the first was a South Dakota case in which the South Dakota legislature required the abortionists to tell abortion uh, women that abortion is the taking of a life of a separate, living, unique human being. It's pretty right. Bold I remember that. I remember that case. That was that was extremely yes important because that's the kind of language Planned Parenthood does not want used to describe the unborn. Exactly, they tell our women it's a it's just a mass of tissue, and you know even if you wanted good medical practice, you'd expect the doctor to tell you both sides of a controversial issue and let you make your own decision, and maybe he'd Correct. say, well, I don't know, but. Here's some of the science that says it's a baby. Here's some that says mass of tissue. You decide. But no, that's not what they say. No, it's a mass of tissue. And that's a basic lie. And the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals said there is very adequate scientific evidence to prove that abortion uh, takes the life of a separate, living, unique human being. So that's a great case they've already done. And the second case was a case last summer Again, South Dakota passed a law saying that abortionists had to tell women that if they have abortion, you'd have an increased risk of suicide and suicidal Mm -hmm. thoughts. Letitia, do you think that would be important if you were making a decision whether to have an abortion or not? Absolutely. That's right. Isn't it labeled? have a duty. Well, with with any any drug, even over-the-counter drugs, I mean, we have boxes that that come with, uh indicating you know forms inside to to let you know that these could be the side effects of any potential drug now not only are in an abortion procedure not only is a woman subject to drugs she is subject to a surgical procedure uh and why there wouldn't be any risk factors uh shared with her at all is is kind of beyond beyond a normal expectation that's beyond acceptable 
Right. And in fact, so you're right. Women are told everybody, every, all women are told that they'll be fine. I mean, how how technical is that? You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Don't have to think about it. So there are hundreds of articles talking about the adverse psychological consequences of abortion to women that are simply ignored by the abortion industry and the media, sadly. But the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals said there was adequate evidence to prove that that was true, and the state was free to require abortionists to tell them that. So we want to keep it a good court, and we just prepare the way. And I just encourage all of your listeners, as I have to go pretty soon, that uh, be praying for those in authority, and we're commanded to pray for those in authority, and that includes judges. I think a lot of people maybe remember to pray for the legislature or the president, but the judges have an immense amount of authority over our lives, and we need to pray for good judges in America and that God will bless them with salvation and wisdom and open eyes and ears. Amen to that. That is such a a great message that doesn't get spoken a lot. I mean, a lot of times we say, you know, write letters um, and protest, but, and and pray, but do we actually do that? I think your exhortation for us to actually pray for judges and pray for decisions and changed hearts and changed minds is is a very important reminder all the time. So real quick, uh, what's happening tomorrow? At uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, in front of the uh, United States federal courthouse in St. Louis, not the state court, but the federal courthouse, and I think that, I don't know if you all remember the address or could Google that real quick. I don't remember the exact address in Texas. The federal Uh, courthouse. Yeah, at 10 a.m. to 11, there'll be just a one-hour peaceful uh, prayer session. It's not a protest. It's praying to God in the highest court of all that justice would be done in that building. And it's the Bound for Life group. They pray with red tape over their mouth that says life. And they pray in silence in honor of the unborn victims of abortion, the children in the womb whose lives are taken and who can't speak for themselves. So they're praying for those children and their mothers and the judges. It's just an hour of prayer on the sidewalk, perfectly legal. You're not going to get arrested. You're just making – it's a bit of a witness, too, if people – see it, it's explained. This is a silent witness, and they're praying to God to end abortion in America and and bring revival. And they have a 22-word prayer. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. And if you wouldn't mind, y'all are prayers you prayed at the beginning. If I could lead a prayer for the courts, I would sure love to do that. Absolutely. I would love that, too. <laughs> and um, so, I, Lord willing, I will be up and ready to go tomorrow morning because I'm not going to miss this. And uh, we'll be reporting back um, probably next Friday about uh, what happened here. And we certainly will get our, our website up and running to kind of give you a, give our audience uh, something to, to read about um, on the event tomorrow. Uh, but thank you so much. I know you have to run. Thank you for coming on the air with us and sharing that news and and your encouragement. Well, thank you very much. And 
All can right. I say a prayer right now or not? Absolutely. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you that we live in a country where there are honest judges, and most of the judges are honest, and that's a blessing from you. Father, we pray for the judges to be blessed with salvation and a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that their eyes would be open, their ears would be open to hear you. We pray for true justice to be done in the courts. We pray that you would bind the plans of the enemy. And, Lord, we ask you to just bind the plans of the enemy, confuse and scatter our spiritual enemy. We love those human beings who oppose us, Father, and and we were deceived once. We're, We're sinners. So we're not better than them. We just love them and ask for salvation for everyone who opposes the, pro, uh, the pro-life issue and justice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. and amen. Alan, hey, Parker, Alan, thank you very before, much. Alan, before you go, uh, Leticia, yes. you had a question that you forgot to ask him. That oh, we had, uh, well... That could take a I little while to answer. I think, very, I think it's a very important. And, Alan, if you, Leticia and I were talking yesterday, and um, she 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 wanted to know, because um, you know how with Operation Outcry you have post-abortive women, but she, but she wants to know what is your thoughts and feelings on the importance of the story from those of us who were almost aborted or potential targets for abortion. Or even abortion survivors. Yes, I think that's an important story that needs to be told in society. We have a television show called Forces of Abortion, and we've put a lot of those stories on. I think you ought to have people like that on this radio program. It shows the value of life kind of dramatizes it when someone says, I could have been aborted, but here I am. I'm a human being. I think those are very powerful testimonies, very powerful. And the other thing I did want to say, actually, there is prayer at the Gateway House of Prayer tonight uh, in St. Louis, Gateway House of Prayer from 7 to 10 o'clock tonight, and then prayer at the same place, Gateway House of Prayer, all afternoon tomorrow uh, from 1 to 5 for the end of abortion, too. So if anybody would like to join us there, uh, that's also going on um, through the Bound for Life group. So we'd love to have anybody there. And uh, God bless you guys, and thank you all for everything you do, okay? Thank Thank you for sharing. Okay. All right. Thank you. We'll see you later (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) All right. Um, I just, I just wanted, you know, okay, Thomas, that makes my transition kind of awkward because we are going to spin 180 degrees and talk about something totally different but equally pro-life. But I wanted, and before I get into that, um, I wanted to reiterate that, you know, St. Louis is the home of the Dred Scott decision. And yesterday, Alan Parker had mentioned that St. Louis in particular is a very special place where so many pro-life voices 
have emerged and are coalescing and we are working together slowly getting those wheels turning and if not you know we're not simply out there just to hold up a sign or put tape over our mouths or pray or anything we are helping to change the culture of and change the culture to be a culture of life and right. i think um it was it was not a, i guess it's helpful to be from the outside outside of st louis i mean looking in and seeing the history take place where St. Louis was the home of the Dred Scott decision, but now it is undergoing a a huge reversal of mindsets of the people where people are becoming more pro-life, particularly in St. Louis, because I think of a raising of the conscience. I think God is raising the conscience consciences of so many people and not just in st louis in the the state of missouri how is it that planned parenthood has struggled so hard uh to maintain this one abortion facility here in st louis open when all the others have uh closed there were three and then there were two and now there is only one and Lord willing, you know, we are going to be able to put Planned Parenthood in a box and ship them off <laughs> one of these days. They can go go peddle their business somewhere else, and then we'll pray for that somewhere else to reject to reject them too. You know, one of these days. Um, and I hope it doesn't take another 40 years, but I believe that one of these days it's going to happen I pray for sooner rather than later, but I believe it's going to happen. Right. And so, uh, I, all this to say, uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying I agree. All right, all this, all this um, to say that I believe that they're right, that there is I don't want to say something special like it's not going to happen somewhere else or that St. Louis is, is this is the only the only location where pro-life uh, advocacy has had success, but I believe that this is a touchstone. Uh, from here, people can, can experience um, a huge amount of support and prayer to be able to affect pro-life change in other places in the country. Uh, major right. cities, wherever there are are large minority neighborhoods, uh, that if change needs to be affected because it is in the minority neighborhoods that that places like Planned Parenthood seem to peddle and advertise their abortion services, and and people need to know the truth. So um, since we are coming up. Do you think it was a coincidence that uh, Planned Parenthood's first clinic was in Harlem, New York? No, it was not a coincidence. And we know that it wasn't a coincidence because Margaret Sanger herself chose that location. (laughs) And her organization chose that location because it was a high... uh, a high, high a black 
neighborhood. High black yeah, popul- high black population. Yeah, high black population. And and so, she had written explicitly how she considered black people to be human weeds. Now, if you were a black minister, you could be used to eliminate other black people that she considered human weeds. And so I think the value of of the black community to her was only valuable enough to see how she could use black people to do the things that she wanted have to have done to them. Uh, it, it's a tragedy. Now I'm rambling because I'm tired now. <laughs> it's a tragedy well, what she was able to do. And and her legacy is a, a complete and utter tragedy in American history. That's it's a tragedy that is still unfolding. Right, right. So we're gonna take a break for two minutes, and we'll be we'll be back with our um, with my monologue. Hopefully, I don't ramble my way through this and make it a ten minute monologue. <laughs> we'll be right back. If you have questions, please call us. On air, the number to call is 760-542-3907. We will be right back. We had a whole plan that sold abortion things called sex education. Break down their natural modesty separate them from their parents and their values and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us when we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18. The multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion, it's just unfathomable that abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized in silence. U.S. Senate report states, physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? I'm fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women. 
let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. And welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I'm your host, Letitia Wong. I'm on the air with my co-host today, Thomas Smith. And my monologue was prepared. What? What? I said, yes, ma'am, you are on the air with me. Um, yeah, you are. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm having technical difficulties with the computer while I'm still on the phone, but, uh, you know, it looks like it's working. Um, what what I want to do is, is our, is our other, is our other guest there yet? Yes. She's on. She's waiting. Um, did you want so, to go ahead and bring her on sooner than later? <laughs> yes. Let's let's bring her on and then do the monologue after the fact because she has a powerful story that uh, that I am eager for our listeners to hear. Um, you know, um, this. Miss Pat Up Church, if you could push the unmute button because I haven't came back in yet, but I'll introduce her. You know, sometimes when you hear you hear different testimonies of post abortive women, they they all impact you. But when you specifically hear the testimonies about women who made a decision after the fact that, you know what, this is a bad idea. I don't want to do this. And they are forced to go through with it, not by family members, but literally kept from walking out of the clinic. It's not only it's not only the post abortive mother's story that's gonna be the end of abortion, but specifically stories like this of women who made a decision, made a choice that after first choosing to go through with something they didn't want to, but they were not allowed to exercise their choice. So please welcome us. Welcome to the show. Join us in welcoming, excuse my trip of the words, Mrs. Pat Upchurch to the show. She is um she works with um Miss Paula Talley of Leticia. Share the yep. name of the ministry for me because I don't have my notes in front of me. Oh, um, you must be as tired as me. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, but anyway. Um, is uh, it over, the name is of the it, ministry It's Reclaiming Royalty Ministries. Yeah. Yes. And with, with a good friend Beautiful. of ours who who runs that ministry called, her name is Pat, um, I'm sorry, her name is Paula Talley, and she will be a future guest on our show as well. So we may ask 
the entire staff, well, maybe not the entire staff, but many of the staff members on Reclaiming Royalty to come on, on the air one day and share a, a lot about their ministry with us. But today we have, in particular, Miss um, Fat Up Church. How are you today, ma'am? I'm good. How are you guys doing? All right. Thank you for joining us on the Pro-Life Fridays radio program. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Well, I, 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 I remember meeting you several, several years ago. I don't remember how many, but it's been several, several years um, when you worked for Thrive. And yes. you've you've only recently changed over to working at Reclaiming Royalty Ministries. Is that right? Well, not exactly. Actually, I've been with Reclaiming Royalty since its inception. Actually. Um, oh, okay. And I, yeah, I've been there since the beginning. So we've been there six or seven years. Um, I'm on the board of Reclaiming Royalties, and of course, I help out with um, events and things like that. But recently, I just um, started an organization called Help. Um, and it's really designed to help pregnancy centers and churches and organizations minister and serve people in urban areas. So that's um, kind of where the focus is right now. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, you'll have a chance to tell us a little bit more about that. But first, I want to kind of give you this opportunity now to talk a little bit, well, talk a lot, about your personal I guess journey to healing after an abortion. Tell us kind of the before, the during, the after, and and just tell us, you know, what has gone on in your life that you want others to know about your experiences. Well, I mean, of course, it could be a two-hour, two-day story, but <laughs> um, we don't have quite that long. All... But you do have a little bit. You do have a little yes. while. You're... <laughs> What's your share well, with us I mean, yesterday? just to start off, I mean, I'll start, and of course, obviously, you know, since we're talking about abortion, post-abortion, I was in a relationship um, that actually wasn't going well, um, and I wanted to get out of the relationship, actually. Um, and even up until that point, I wasn't, um, I really wasn't a sexually active person. So at any rate, um, I knew that I wasn't supposed to be in that relationship and I wasn't going to be in the relationship and we hadn't had sex or anything. So um, in this particular young guy's effort to save the relationship, he decided to, you know, plan a special date, whatever you want to call it. Um, And on that quote-unquote date, um, he actually raped me. Because um, I'm also an advocate for... um, Obviously, I won't say obviously, but um, when a ladies, when a woman or a girl says no, she means no. Um, so literally, that was um, it was rape. And so fast forward, you know, that was a traumatic experience. Um, really didn't say anything to anybody. That's a atypical thing that happens when you're raped that you actually don't tell anybody because you feel like, what did I do? Did I do something that was wrong? Did I do something? You know, I was young, but, you know, I didn't, that's not what I wanted. So mm-hmm. didn't know if people would believe me or whatever, so that kind of thing. And then how I actually old, did reject it. How old was I? Yeah, how old were you at the time? I was 20, 20, 20 21. Okay. So, yeah, fresh out of, I was actually still in college, so, um, 
And, you know, so it just wasn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, um, so fast forward, I can't tell you exactly, you know, six, seven weeks, of course, uh, I'm, you know, here I am and I'm missed a period. And I go to the store and, of course, duh, I find out that I am pregnant. So my first reaction was, okay, maybe not. So, which is why, you know, being at Thrive for so long and being at um, pregnancy and work, a lot of times when I talk to ladies, as God would have me to, you know, when it was appropriate and when I feel like the Holy Spirit really told me to do it, you know, a lot of those ladies I sat there and talked to, thousands and thousands of them, um, I said, you know, really, it's me. I'm I'm you sitting on this sofa. And so I can relate and I can understand. Maybe I have the same story, but um, I definitely can relate because um, it's a somewhat you go into denial and then there's confusion and it's like it's a whirlwind. It's like, what am I going to do? And then I understand, you know, you go by, you know, six, seven pregnancy and you know, just make sure it's, <laughs> if it's really <laughs> Right. So right. Um, at any rate, it's true, and um, here I am. And I, you know, personally, and I know you two guys have heard at least portions of my of my story. Um, uh, abortion didn't even enter into my mind. Actually, um, once I, it settled in, and I really knew I was pregnant, which I mean, that's just a week, you know, week and a half, two weeks, whatever. Um, I made an appointment to go to the doctor, and my really first gut reaction was, even since I wasn't a teenager, I mean, I had just left my teen times um, in mm-hmm. college, and um, was my thought was to run away, you know, and have my baby in secret or something, you know, just that was literally my first thought, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, after the dust settled, so to speak, and that was my thought. Um, and then I reached out to a couple of friends of mine, um, and you guys have heard this as I'm talking, because not just, I, it's definitely out of my experience, but also um, I know it in a, in a reality, not just because of my experience, but because of me counseling other people, that when I call those two friends two different occasions, um, basically they said to me, you know, well, whatever you want to do, girl, you know, that's great. That's fine. We're just here for you. Um, and my counsel in that today is that doesn't help people because people literally, mm-hmm. even in a crisis, Someone wants to know, someone really wants you to give them an answer. Like they want right. to say, do it. Well, they want you to say, do it or don't do it. That's really what they're asking for. Even if they give some pushback, that's what they're asking. And so um, hindsight, of course, I knew, well, I knew then. That's what I wanted. I wanted someone to, you know, to say either way, even though, like, I knew what was right to do. Um <clears throat> So, okay, fast forward, you know, they didn't really help me. That's what I'm saying. You're not helping me. You're not really helping me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so then I called um, an older lady in my family, um, a family member, and I told her. And and so her first her first response was, you should have an abortion. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm really looking for, like, how can I navigate this and not be so crazy? You know what I mean? Like, Finance, um, yeah. you know, you just—I'm just trying to navigate. Like, how do I do this? Like, how do, that really right. was my mindset. Honestly, it was like, how do I navigate out of this? Not abort. Literally, I was saying abortion never entered my mind. And um, so, you know, some weeks passed because I can't 
So I would say I'm thinking that I'm at this, I was six or seven weeks, I'm not sure. So, I mean, I let almost two months go. So probably when I went, I was somewhere between 12 and 14 weeks. That's what I think. And even as far as maybe even 16 weeks, I'm not sure. So because I was like, you know, she in a sense basically um, pressured me because she's like, okay, you need to take care of this. You need to take care of this. You need to take care of this. And I was like, no, you know, I just really ignored her at first, you know, kind of, but being respectful. Um, So what she did, and I know it sounds crazy to people, but it's a reality. Um, So, like I said, this is over a month, month and a half, period. Um, and me going through the anguish. Okay, I'm sorry. You saying something? But I don't. And me going through the anguish of, um, you know, just what's going on with me and blah blah blah. So anyway, she called me one day and said, "I made the appointment. We're going on Saturday." And it's like, "Boy, where? Okay." So you know, a lot of things went through my head. I know this is not the best thing to do. I'm not going. I can't do this. Then, then on the other hand, maybe she's right. You know, she's older. You know, maybe this is right. Like, I don't feel right about it, but maybe it's the right thing to do. Mm. So, obviously, she showed up Saturday morning, and I got in the car and went. So, like I said, I didn't make the appointment. I didn't kneel. She just she did all of that. So, I just showed up, and uh, we got in the car, and she drove there. Um it was actually a nice a nice little waiting room. But I literally felt, um, well, I like to, I always say this, too, is that at the time when I had my abortion, there was literally only one way in and one way out. So you actually, the way you came in, no one could exit. So, like, once you got in, you couldn't go back at the same way. You're going to go out the other door. So basically, in a sense, you had to go through the clinic to get out. Um, and I oh, actually know that their exit, their exit was located somewhere else in the building that you had Correct. to Correct. Basically, it was find. in the back. Okay. Yeah, it was in the back on the side. Um, so, and then I remember them asking for ID if I had it. Of course, if I didn't have ID, they would still, you know, I would still go in. And I just remember, like, oh, my name is going to be on something or whatever. I don't want to do it. And I was like, I don't want to. And I was quiet. I will be honest, you know, because I, I do believe in being accountable because at the end of the day, I have to be accountable for that. You know, I'm not, no. you know, for still getting in the car, showing up and going. So but I just remember, you know, I, I want to leave. I just want to leave. And so, you know, that family member, she just like, okay, come on, come on, you know, not – not mean, but, you know, just come on, girl. Like, come on, let's just get this over with. So I'm just quietly, but inside I'm really resisting the whole process. So sitting in the waiting room felt like she'd gone to slaughter. No one said anything to anybody. So it's probably, yeah, it's probably 15 to 20 people in that room, in the waiting room. Um, wow. And nobody's talking. It's quiet. You know, people, you know you how you do your past looks. Nobody's trying to really look at each other. No one says anything, and so you just feel like cheap corn slaughter. And so the whole time, even in that room, I'm thinking, how can I get out? Like, how can I leave? <laughs> I just want to leave. I just want to leave. I just want to leave. Wow. Um, and then she went back there, and I 
I mean, of course, I know now. I mean, she's paid and or finished paying. I don't even know. Like, honestly, I don't even know how the process all works. Um, and even to this day, I'll kind of go fast forward but come back. Uh, and, of course, obviously, I had serious issues with her. So me and her didn't really talk for a while. I ended up writing her a letter. Um, and I think even to this day, I mean, we're, you know, we, our relationship is, is good. But I think to this day, um, as opposed to me, which is, you know, may sound crazy, but um, it, it still really bothers her. You know, it, it mm-hmm. still really bothers her. And so she re- obviously she regrets it. And, and we've spent, of course, I mean, we talked many times, but she, uh, it really, when it hit her, I know it was really bad. And I wrote her a letter pretty immediately, actually, um, a pretty long letter, because I thought that would be, that was how to get it all out. Um, and I was pretty angry, honestly. And so, but I also, through the time of, like I said, I'm going back and coming, I'll come back to where I am. But um, in the process of even my own healing, I still have to acknowledge and take responsibility for the part that, that I did. So, but anyway, going forward, I'm there and I'm in the room. Um, they actually have you talk to a little, it's a little different now, but, uh, but a lot of things are pretty much the same. Talked to some lady that was supposed to be a counselor, but she didn't counsel you. She basically said, because um, I've mentioned something about the relationship wasn't a good relationship. She's like, oh, here's a card about domestic violence. You know, you can call these numbers if you need to. That was the extent of my counseling. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, go back out in the waiting room. They're going to call you. Like, okay. Um, and then, um, so, of course, they call me back. You get undressed. Blah, 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 you're on the table. So I remember, I mean, to me it's normal. When I say normal, but normal hospital, you know, it's cold. You have a gown on. Um, the room is pretty. Um, now, I will say the room that I was in was pretty, um, unappealing um, mm. and quite thorough and quite cold, even in, I'm about in the feeling of it um, and even the way it looked. So it was uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to this, because, of course, I'm so knowledgeable about this because of, you know, what I've done for so long. I don't know if they were nurses, practitioners, you know, I don't know if they were even legal, you know, how do I know? Right. But right. And my at the time, you know, it was two nurses. I thought they were two nurses and they were prepping me or whatever and it was just she was like, It's just gonna be just like you're getting a pap smear. I'm like, Okay. I never really right. said anything. I was crying I was crying when I walked in there. When I got on the table I was already crying. Wow. And so the lady was like, Oh, you're gonna be okay, it's just like a pap smear, she's gonna be okay. But then the other lady that was on my well, you don't I'm sorry, I have a picture in my head. This is the lady on my right. The lady on my left, which to me she looked really young. I was like, oh, she's a young nurse. That's how my thoughts are. And and she said, um, she just held my hand. And she's like, oh, it's going to be okay. And I was like, um, I don't think, I want to get up. I think I need to leave. I'm not supposed to be here. I, I need to go. You know, it was like, okay, I need to go, and I was kind of hyperventilating, and you know, anxiety, whatever was going on, sweating, crying. I'm like, I, and actually, I'm calm talking about it now, but it was, it was a pretty profound, you know, it was, I was uncontrollable right. almost, really. You I were, wanted to you get were up. Change, you had changed your mind about being there. 
Yeah, I had changed my mind. And so and just think about, you know, just physically how you are. And, like, I want right. to get up. And now, now take it. They were softly holding my hands from the beginning. You know, just like I said, you know, you're best friend. You're just like, it's fine. And we're just, you know, that's fine. So they're already holding my hands. And when I said I want to get up and I went to get up, because it's like, you know, it's weird. Like, because you still, it's like a doctor's office in your mind. So I'm still in a sense looking for permission. And I'm saying this is all hindsight. Now, I can look at it. You know, and I've told my story thousands of times. But how, mm-hmm. but in that moment, I was looking for permission. When I said it, you can say, yeah, you can get up. And But then I didn't get that, so it was like, I'm getting up anyway. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, wow, I'm just leaving. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just, you know, okay, because I'm thinking, you know, I need this to happen because I know he's going to be coming, you know. like. Right. So then I was thinking, I'm going to tell him i got to go, whatever. But the doctor still wasn't there, like I said. I don't know if he was a real doctor or not, but he wasn't even there yet. And so that was making me, I think, more my anxiety really build up. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is I was waiting for that permission, like somebody to say, okay, you know, you can go, whatever. So that just wasn't happening because he was not there. Mm-hmm. And this is those two ways. Anyway, so um, the biggest thing is I wanted to get up. And they pinned me on the table, and they would not let me get up. Wow. And so that's the, without words, I can't even express, honestly. Um, So they shut me up, pinned me down on the table. um, And literally when that happened, the doctor walked in. So I don't know if they had cued him or what. I have no idea. But. I was already on the table, everything. He didn't speak to me. He didn't say hi. He didn't, he didn't even introduce himself. All and I and you, was, had never, you had never seen him before in your life? Never seen him. And I could, like, to this day, I could not pick him out of line. All I seen, honestly, oh. was the bottom of a coat, some pants, and some shoes. That's all I seen. Oh, my goodness. I right. never seen him. And so, of course, he proceeds and... I mean, I could, like I said, they were saying things to me, you know, before he came in, and then of course they put me on the table. Her, he comes, and I guess he's just gonna get it over with. And and it was, it's, it's actually pretty fast. It's not like it's a long time. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just, you know, it wasn't a long time. Uh, it was like the worst girl exam you ever had, and um, but I literally felt life go out of me. Mm. Like I literally felt it. I felt like I heard. Um, you know, I know it's mental and all that too, but it, I literally felt like I knew life went out of me, and I just I felt it. And mm-hmm. then to add insult to injury, you know, life is gone, and I feel like even in that moment that my life is over. The lady on my left, on my left, that's why I was saying it to set the stage for what I'm getting ready to say. The lady on the left says to me, "You shouldn't have been here," and I'm thinking. Well, I, I said, said a few she said you should. <laughs> I was thinking that's what I just said like a few minutes ago. So I, I just, uh, and needless to say, that was why my first, my first. Um, if you guys know about the, um, just a grieving for anything, a grieving process. I mean, I had, oh, you know, I had anger first. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just went on past denial because I really didn't deny it from the beginning. 
um, I I was just so angry. That was me. I was just angry, numb and angry. I would say. And then um, there was depression, and so. But I sought out like I need help from this. Um, I remember going to um, every bookstore, <laughs> and hindsight, which is you know part of why I do what I do, but it's not the only reason. I'm I know God would have had me do it even if I hadn't had an abortion. Um, but there was, I only found two books about abortion in every store that I went to. Mm. And then that made me more outraged because I was like, hmm, there should be a lot more stuff about this. And, and even the two books I got was, weren't that great. Like, they were not helping me. So, um, you know, fast forward, I went through, I was still, I had got a job, I was working, and just going on with life. Seemingly, you know, things are great on the outside. Um, that's one of the things that I say that um, I say is that in that cra- in the in the in the the depthest lowest part of my life that that was, what I learned after God bringing me out of it is how fiercely and wonderfully we were made. Because I could go to work every day and perform and do everything and come home and lay in a bed and be depressed and then just take my face on and take it back off. And it's like I did that for months and months and months and months and months, you know. So, um, but one day, just like normal, um, went to work, came home. I was just basically depressed. I mean, that's just what I was. Um, and I didn't think that I could be healed from it. Now, I wouldn't use that word at that time. I use it now, but. I didn't just think God wouldn't forgive me. Um, you know, life is over. But I'm still like performing at a very high level at work. I remember getting accolades and awards and promotion and blood, 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 it's all this stuff going on. But I'm thinking, my life is pretty worthless. So, mm. um, I remember laying in the bed one day, just like normal. And um I felt like I sunk to the bottom of the earth. That's how I felt. And I was sweating and all that kind of stuff. To know about depression, you guys, I mean, if you don't know about that, that's actually pretty normal stuff. And so, but I know I heard God say to me, um, Arise, daughter, my joy is your strength. Mm-hmm. And literally for me, and you know, for me personally, I felt literally in that moment, um, that, like, the chain fell off me. Like, I literally felt it even, I would say, almost physically. I felt like that. Um, and so then on that, God just opened, like, when I say he opened all the doors, just I just walked right through them. And that I met somebody, um, actually, through, I, still, I went to the church, the church that I still go to now, told me about the church, went to that church. The first day I went to that church, they were actually talking about, actually, our, my pastor's wife is post-abortive, and she was talking when I went there. So ah. um, got into a forgiven and set-free Bible study um, and went through the healing process and memorial service. And, and then after that, I started volunteering. I actually started I was volunteering at Pregnancy Resource Center. I mean, it was some years and a couple years in between that, but, you know what I'm saying, volunteering and, and then I started, went to the training to be a post-abortion leader. And so God just did a miraculous thing. And so for me, um, and just, you know, letting God heal me and forgiving myself and 
forgiving everybody involved and, and just God did a good, uh, I mean, I feel like, and I know for for a fact that God can totally set you free um, from the pain and the shame of abortion. He really can. So, and he reaffirmed that doesn't, you know, I still say it's absolutely 100%, 1,000% wrong and we have to be accountable, but what's kind of cool and we don't even deserve it, if you guys know about the, uh, I don't know if you guys know about it, but in the Forgiveness Set Free, which I lead those studies now, um, mm-hmm. you there's a part where they actually encourage you to name your child. So I felt like I, it was a girl, and her name is Lily. She's my Lily. She's my Lily in Valley. And so what I say, and I'm saying it now on this show, and I say it all the time, and sometimes I forget, and then I feel bad when I forget, but the very fact that I'm sharing my story um, is I am giving her value and giving her life. Mm. So the very fact that, you know, I'm sharing my story and trying to help other people and educate other people about this, the tragedy of it, um, but also the hope of coming out of it if you are a post abortive is that I'm valuing her and giving her life, and she is the lily of the valley. So. Right. Of my so that's that's where you're at. Wow. In a nutshell, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a tremendous you guys can ask story. questions along the way. Sure. Well, I I wanted you to finish, and and we'll ask some of the questions. And if Thomas has some questions, he he can speak up and ask too. Um, one of the things that I was curious about is is uh, were you ever did you ever get the sense that you weren't allowed to change your mind? You, even, oh, you know, absolutely. That's not me. I mean, I'm, I, I kind of bumble over it, not just because, you know, I'm just, because that's what I mean. It's weird because think about now. I mean, I say this to people all the time. I remember going to another conference and sharing my testimony. A lady asked a similar question, and I'm going to base it for the same thing to you that I said to her. I mean, like when we go to the doctor's office, the doctor is a doctor, the nurse is a nurse. So when they say, Pat, you know, your vitamin D is low and I'm going to give you a prescription for, you know, you need to take 200 milligrams every two hours. And I go mm-hmm. pick up the prescription. I don't even question that. I go, oh, okay, that's, you know, like good. Or if I'm okay. sick or something's yeah. wrong with me and I go to the doctor and he, I'm looking for him to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, my point is, is that it was no different. Even though, even though I was sensing all those things from, for me personally, I know everyone didn't, everyone doesn't necessarily experience that. But I mean, I felt I didn't really necessarily want to be there. I felt like she's going to slaughter. And but I still have that same clinical thing that we've all been groomed to be like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right, right. I need Where, you know I I need I'm you looking for you. Yeah, you place yourself in the hands of the the quote unquote experts. Yeah, he's, they're the experts, not me. They're the experts. So so I still it's funny like in all that such um, emotional time. I still um, succumb to, and it's not that inherently that's wrong because we we should, but of course I succumb to. They're the experts, and 
and almost right. in terms of needing approval, needing approval, and them to say what I should do, right, or right. when I can do it, you know, when I can get up, or when I, you know, because I'm just saying, right. even in the, you know, you go to the doctor's office and the subject that we're talking about. I mean, people can have pictures. I mean, as a lady, as a girl, you know, when you go to the doctor's office for girls' things and. You know, the normal thing is take off your clothes and put your little gown on, and they leave. When they come back, they knock on the door. That's not me. You're, we're, you know, because if you've been to the doctor and did any of those things, you're used to those. You're used to that procedure. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of waiting for you to say, okay. But yeah, so long answer, but the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that, that taking advantage of girls who are. Uh, and young women who are vulnerable, they're emotionally vulnerable. They're oh, highly, absolutely. They're highly suggestible. Um, and, you know, if you just tell them this is going to, uh, where you, uh, you just tell them what to do, and they're likely to comply because they're completely out of the mindset where they don't really know what oh, to yeah, do. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's multiple layers going on. And right. As we know, even in any crisis, when you're in crisis, I always say you really can't see past your nose. Like, right, I'm in right. a crisis. I can't see. Like, I, I know it's light somewhere down there, but I can't see it. I really can't see past my nose. So, you know, for me in my life, in my story, and just even go back a little bit. So I'm call, I call those friends. I call who? I, so I'm reached, like, somebody help me because I can't see. And so right. then when you, quote, unquote, which you said that right, even, you know, having an abortion, these are medical experts. <laughs> so you even still will have the tendency to kind of just <laughs> succumb to the the norms. Right, right. Even though you wow. don't feel right about it. I mean, we do that even with, like I said, not so serious stuff. Like, right, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, even I'm saying when a doctor gives you some medicine, my mother, not a total side note, but my mother is good with this. It's funny. It's so serious. But this is, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. When my mother is good for having these prescriptions and she never takes the medicine because she's like, I'm not taking that. I'm not, they're not going to have me taking all this stuff. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? It's something similar, but it's the lower level, but it can be serious for her, too. I'm, you know, people can be on all, you know, all these medicines. You know, one has the side effects, you got to take this one, and this has the side effects, you got to take that one, you got to take that one. Right. Take. So you right. just, like, take stuff, and it's not really helping you, but you take it because they're the experts. Was there ever so. any discussion of of the alternative? Did anybody say, you know, this oh, is what you could do? Oh, Letitia. Letitia. No. I, I mean, I'm not from not from the abortion clinic workers. But from your friends, no, and anybody else, you no, can, no. So, no. so everybody no. was in their minds. Abortion is your only answer here. <laughs> yes. Wow. I, I mean, so much for choice. You were you were basically robbed of that discussion. Of yeah, and I always say, do. in the millions and millions of stories that we all have heard and have yet to hear, unfortunately. I've talked to pro-choice, pro-life, Christian, non-Christian, all of the above, of women that are post-abortive. And even the ones in the sense, like I said, we totally are, you know, separate in what we believe in our values. 
but no woman that has had an abortion feels like, quote, unquote, she has a choice. Wow. Yes, I think that's right. In that moment, and in that that moment, in her experience, she feels like, quote, unquote, that she does not have a choice. And it's not just to be a play on words. That's really the truth. I I mean, I've done post-abortion Bible studies for thousands of ladies, literally, thousands, okay? And when I say not 99, not 99.99, 100% felt like they didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you know, totally different, you know, different situation, different story. But whatever their situation was, it they felt like in that moment they didn't have a choice. Right. Right. And, which and, is, and like, it is an emo- so, emotion. A lot of it is emotional. I mean, oh yeah, it is. Not, it, oh, it it is. You can't think. You're not thinking rationally, honestly, because you're mm-hmm. really in crisis mode. You I mean, you're in crisis right. mode, honestly, and and this. You know, some people tell you I'm taking it harsh, and that's what, I mean, I say it, I mean, I don't, I do it. And Letitia, like, you haven't seen me, but you have seen me. You know me through the years. And I always mm-hmm. say, no, people really, they want you to knock them upside the head. They really do. Right, like, right. You, because you have to shake them, basically, you know, I'm saying that, you know, you're going to do it with gentle with love, but you actually need to shake them so they can, like, okay. Okay, so I can really see what they need to see because you can't see right, you know. So there is actually, and I think as pro-life and one help ladies not choose abortion, that's what we have to do. Right. I mean, that's, that's I, I what we have to do. There's because been so it's like much a shaking, about, you know. A little right. There's so much talk about how how um, just the pro, pro-lifers in general seem so, sometimes so judgmental. But I think that's an overstatement. I think it, it is the fear and the reaction talking, and, and, and they don't see the message. And they just kind of want to put it on on people who are simply praying outside of Planned Parenthood's shoulders. And, and it's their own conscience that is convicting them about what they're, and I'm not talking necessarily about the women who are getting abortions, but those who are complicit in urging them to go, pushing them to go, uh, forcing them into the building where they can't find the exit. (laughs) Yes, yes. And saying, don't listen to those people, you know, they're just mean and and they don't have a nice thing to say about you. There you go, and Um, that's what I'm saying. So we see how... (laughs) Um, and just because this is just natural for me, so I apologize. That's why when I'm talking to a lady, I'm really, you know, it's not 100%, but Jesus, God is 100%. So I'm asking God to really help me. Um, not necessarily she's going to show me and I'm going to help her how to navigate that. It's really who are the, not just positive, but the real support people in her life. And that's right. for the very reason why you're saying that, because that's what I mean. Just like I'm saying, going to the doctor, I'll give you a prescription, you don't question it. This is my friend, or this is my right. cousin, or whoever. And, you know, like I said, you're just going, because it's in the context of that relationship, you're just like, man, I don't want to do this. I mean, we've always been guilty. I don't say guilty, but we've always, like, I don't really want to do this, and I'm going to do it. You know, I don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. And as crazy as that sounds with something so deep and so 
um, has so much depth to it as a, as a, as a life, because that, that's really what this is about, it's life, a human being. But you still can make the same type of decisions about ending your child's life. Right. Because right. it's just like, I really, you know, I really don't want to do this. And my cousin, my girl, listen to them. They just crazy. They just, you know, come on, girl, let's do this. They don't know. But your cousin mm-hmm. don't know either. <laughs> right. Your your cousin doesn't know yeah. either. And your cousin your, your cousin doesn't know either, and she's suffering too. She may not be possible with her, but something's going on with her too. You know, so I'm so, wow. so that's a yes. part. Yes, yes. Wow, and that's what I mean. On the sidewalk, yeah, being on the sidewalk, um, I commend people that's on the sidewalk because mm-hmm. it's um, even in the center. I mean, we have multiple layers to address, but on the sidewalk, I mean, there's even more. Right, and in and, and a shorter period of time. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 there, there is so much power in in being being present on that sidewalk. I mean, what our guest last week had said that she she wanted to run out of the building because there were pro life demonstrators praying outside. She wanted to go to them, but she was, you know, she was pressured so much to stay in the abortion clinic mm-hmm. did not go outside. And but she said it was it, she her heart was running out of the building. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it's and I, I mean even I as adults we have peer pressure. I mean let's just be honest. Right. We still have peer pressure. Like <laughs> we still want to be part of the whatever it is or whoever it is and be accepted and you know, we do. I mean, we're human. So mm-hmm. unfortunately that's, like I said, I keep saying the same thing, but it's so true. We, it plays the same role, you know, and the fact that um, choosing life. Right, right. Like you, wow. You just, so I mean, yeah. The the way you were treated was, I mean, I, I, I think that is a very typical, typical abortion um, experience where, where the young woman does not, has never met the, the abortionist before, never seen never. him or her. Never. And then you're you're expected to lie there it's completely vulnerable while somebody yes. does an operation on your body and, well, and that's what I, kills a child inside and I mean you and you've never seen that person ever since. <laughs> never. And and not right. even ask I mean like I've had you know, I don't know if you guys have but I mean and you guys, of course, are educated and know all about the stats and everything. But, hello, when we go have any kind I mean, even if I go to the dentist, I've had dental surgery, but I've had other surgeries. Like, right. everybody, like five people are coming to tell me something, and I'm signing 10,000 pieces of paper. Right. And right. They're, they're, they're constantly talking to me before, and they talk to me afterwards. <laughs> afterwards. And, and then and personally, in my the doctor personally comes in the room, the one that's going to perform this procedure before the procedure. Right. He personally right. comes in and talks to me, asks me, does I have any questions? Am I okay? Do I understand? And he did explains everything. Anybody, did anybody <laughs> explain what an abortion was and how it was done no. to you? No. Oh, goodness no. gracious. You cannot no. have a tooth removed. <laughs> 
without the doctor no. telling a patient exactly what he's going to do. That's what and, I'm but yeah, no. women Right. But women are just so they're just subjected to whatever and, and there's no explanation and did they say anything to you afterwards? Well, I got I, well no. well yesterday I was I think when I spoke I said they gave us a um gave me a little like it's just um I wanna say it was um it wasn't a packet of information. It was like one or two pieces of paper. But one of them was like a survey, which is, I thought was so ludicrous. I mean, even in that moment, I thought it was ludicrous, honestly. Because I was just thinking, you want me to take a survey? Like, what I just experienced? Because this is not going to be good. You're not going to get a good rating. I mean, I was just thinking, I was like, you really want me to take a survey? Okay. Like, okay. Wow. But I knew when I did this. Yeah. I was like, Really? And I, that may not have been the norm, or maybe something they were trying. I don't know, but and I know the lady threw it in the trash. But the other thing was just like a. Now I will say I got that like a. Um, what am I trying to say? Like when you go to the doctor, it's the. What if something goes wrong? This is what you do. Like. Um, but the thing that stood out to me, you know, what I'm saying, if you have bleeding, blah 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 blah. But basically, after every paragraph, or maybe it's five or six paragraphs, I'm not sure, but. It was just a single, you know, eight and a half by eleven paper. And right. basically, though, what I, you know, and I have to, have to remember, I'm in my experience, and it's very emotional and it's traumatic. So what I remember about that piece of paper, because I ended up throwing it away, is that after every sentence or paragraph they said, they said, "Do not return to this to this to this establishment. Mm-hmm. Do not return. Do not return. Do not return." Oh and so I'm saying, for me. Personally, I mean, most ladies do actually feel like this. I mean, and why come I can't come back to there? I mean, like, I feel like I want to come back to where I was. Like, I want to come back to you. But no, right. don't come to us. Go to the ER. Because if you start bleeding, like, you know, it was all clinical. But at the end of everything in bold was do not return to this establishment. Wow. So they, they, they wanted you to, if you had any problems, they directed you to the hospital? Yes, do not come back to them. Oh, that's interesting. That That's very interesting. Do not come back. <laughs> and then it's like, I mean, I didn't have, I was upset. I was just more upset. I mean, I was just like, okay, thank you, okay. Guess that was my thank you. Okay, whatever. You know, it's just, it was just horrible. That's what I'm saying. Even from a, for lack of a better phrase, not really a bad phrase, but a customer service standpoint, they were lousy. It was wow. lousy. Like it wasn't wow. even friendly. Like they were not. It was not friendly to me. Like it wasn't friendly. <laughs> so, and then I just, the survey to this day. I'm just going really a survey. You give me a survey. And they, okay. They didn't give you very much other than a survey to fill out. Wow. Yeah, it was just a survey. And like I said, the, the sheet that says this basically if anything goes wrong, this is what you do. And basically it said just go to the ER. Do not. And in bold it said do not return. Um, that's, this clinic or, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's very interesting because that just to me that sounds like not only did they, um, you know, tr- have terrible bedside manner. I guess that's a nice way of putting it. They didn't yeah, even so. care. They didn't even no, care. Did and I felt that. I felt that literally that day. That's what I'm saying. I felt that that day. So just think. Right. Well, I mean, physically, you, what I'm going you, through, emotionally, what I'm going had any through. Complications. Well, if you had any complications, they didn't even want to see you again. 
<laughs> no, and it's still like that. Actually, right. you know that, right? It's, it's still like that. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's some abortion clinics that they, they're at least afraid for themselves. So that they have, they will tell their, they will tell women not to go to the hospital, but to to phone like a an employee, and then the abortion doctor will try to manage them himself, so that that woman isn't exposed to to the hospital where she might actually right. say, "I was injured," or I, "This abortion that I had mm. is now." Making complicated, making my health complicated. See, they didn't want to reveal that to to other people. Um, But but this your the clinic where you went to sounded like they didn't they didn't care so much that even if you did go to the hospital and and told everybody that you had an abortion, they didn't even care (laughs) for them. No, and I will say, I mean, I will say, I mean, you thinking, you know, twenty five years ago that. It's always been okay, bad. Yeah. Well, twenty six, twenty seven years ago. However, you know, I was yeah. So anyway, speaking my age. <laughs> um, uh, it was not. It was not as volatile as it is now. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. So I think. Yeah, the climate. Yeah. Yeah, the climate. So I mean, it was always charged. I mean, I. I mean, I'm just saying, just so I know from studying the history of it, because I have. But what I mean is then, you know, they would just don't care, wash my hands of it, we're done, got your money, we're done. I mean, that's still the case, but I'm saying now that, I mean, they would just let us go to the hospital, but now you're right that they, but they're still like that. That's what I'm saying. They don't really want you to, yeah, they don't care. Mm-hmm. That really wow. what it comes down to. They don't care. And they don't. They really don't. Right. I mean, I it's actually know so- a lady personally that did, right here, I mean, right now at Forest Park, um, she had an abortion, and, of course, it went wrong. I'm saying, of course, because of what I'm going to say. And um, She was bleeding to death, honestly. She was bleeding to death, and she came back to their, to their mm. steps. So it was like, um, something's going on, like this is not right because I haven't stopped bleeding for I don't know how long. And so she was just weak, like she couldn't even walk hardly. I mean, she was losing wow. a lot of blood. Um, oh. And they had to call, I mean, they had to call an ambulance to come and get her. And um, God has really done great things in her life. But, I mean, she had to have a full hysterectomy. Oh. So, so they messed, messed it all up. Yeah. Yes. So sad. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. You know, just kind of that experience and the reality of it. The reality of it is that the abortion industry really doesn't care about women. Does not and care. Is mm-hmm. not care. It did not care about your health, your safety, Mm-mm. or your care at all. And and no. you know, quite the opposite of what they're always trying to tell people. We need abortion because we care so much, and and really they don't care at all. And they never, I mean, as big as that is, like you said, was there any discussion? I mean, even personally in my life, but even from them, there was no discussion, not one, not even a little bit of alternative, or even like trying to understand 
me to some degree, like what is what's you know what is what's going on in my life and my right. relation, you know, just anything. There was none of that, like zero, <laughs> zero. You know, because I'm saying you could, if you're gonna ask, I mean, even at a, at a doctor, I keep saying that, even at your doctor's office, right. if you're going to your doctor that you trust and he's, you know, he's trustworthy, he's gonna talk to you about some alternative or how you can handle this better or what can you do with something. You know, he's going to something. Refer you to a specialist. Something. <laughs> right. But, right. no, it was nothing. Just nothing. And so you just feel so alone and you're just in this, you're just in this line to just be slaughtered and to slaughter, you know, to just follow your child and so it's wow. just so it's um, the industry is pretty bad. So, so out of this experience, you know, you've had you've had experience and you worked with Thrive, and now you're working uh, to promote um, uh, other things. So tell us now, what are you doing now? And and just kind of do your own advertising here, right on our show, <laughs> and <laughs> tell tell women, you know, what the, what. What ministries are out there that can serve them in this, if they find themselves in a crisis pregnancy or even, you know, post-abortive? Well, um, I still will say Thrive is a great place to go and be, because um, they are for women and for families. Um, and I would say that if you're contemplating abortion, that it's important for you to have an informed decision, for you just to talk to someone that's educated not only um, just about it in general, but about procedures, about how it affects your life, um, because abortion affects everything about you. That's not one thing it doesn't touch. So it's not just the physical. So it's not an easy fix. Um, at the end of the day, um, you're still a mom. You still have a baby, mm-hmm. and that's your flesh and blood. And so mm-hmm. it's an, I think at the very least, you should get all the information you need before you make a decision. So don't make a rash decision for something that's um, permanent. Um, you can get another house. You can get another car. You can uh, relationships begin and end, but you cannot get your child back. So right. that's the permanent thing. So I would say um, definitely get all the information and go to um, a place where people care and love about you. I mean, care and love you as a person, Um and really value life. And if you're post-abortive, um, there's hope and healing for you. You know, it's not over. Um, God is there and he's willing and waiting um, to minister to you and to help you give you understanding, to forgive you and to help you forgive yourself and others um, if necessary. So there's hope and healing. Um, but I would say if you heard me saying this and say, okay, well, I can have an abortion and God's going to forgive me. Yes, he will forgive you. So why would you, um, first of all, take your own child's life or be a part of taking your own child's life and not be a part of uh, having them fulfill the purpose that God has for them for their life, I mean, just like your life. So your life is valuable and so is their life valuable. So why would you do that? And second of all, I mean, it's just like why would you want to take on something that you actually, without a doubt, it's been scientifically proven and psychologically proven that abortion affects mm. everything about a woman. And so you're saying you're signing yourself up for unnecessary 
pain um, in your life that you don't have to have. And you can have the joy of raising the child. And and God always say, I got this from someone else, but um, where God gives a vision, there's provision. So every every child is a gift from God. Every child is. And so even in the craziest and and the street term, even in the jankiest, craziest situation, and God allows you to get pregnant and to become a mother, God has a plan for you and for them. And so that's his vision. He or she is God's vision. So um, not saying everything will be perfect and it will be all the way that we want it to be, but God will provide for you and your child or your children. So um, I know that, and I know that, and I've seen it 100% of the time. So um, he's 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 good for that. And so I would say that. And Amen. lastly, just um, little teachers letting me get a plug for help. Help is stands for helping, educating, and loving people. Um, I started this organization recently and really had a burden. Um, that's actually it's not my life experience. Um, being in the hood, but I probably, even before I was at Thrive, really, um, really had a burden um, for the hood, if you want to say it like that, for urban mm-hmm. areas and really <laughs> underserved areas. And so always been a part of it. I'm in the church that I've attended, but I've been working in outreach ministry in the hood for, you know, actually, I don't know, a long time. <laughs> And so I just really have a heart for it. And then just paralleling with the life issue, just really seeing that there is a need to help people understand why people in urban areas think the way they think um, and why they do the things they do and give them tools in their toolbox to help them serve and minister them better in those areas, and especially also, um, I won't say especially, but also in the area of life. Um, because, mm-hmm. as I'm saying, what, not just what, you know, what they think about money and education, but relationships, what they think about what is their worldview, what is their view on life, you know, what is their view on abortion. So all those things really honing in and getting, those, getting down to the nitty-gritty of all these, like, you know, 25 to 30 categories and saying this is the way they think and this is why they think the way they think. And so it's a, uh, beginning to help understand. Because I think the better you understand the people God called you to serve, the better you'll be able to serve them. So oh, um, that's really, yeah, yeah so the more, you know, the, the more you understand the people that God called you to serve, the better you can serve them. And so that's kind of why I feel like the role is God's called me to it in this season to really help people um, serve better by giving them the education and understanding uh, about the culture um, of urban world. Urban so, so where can where can people want to if they want to look up more information? Where can they go and find it? We're working on the website, so I would say right now you can call me, and that's three one four five four one six four one one, or you can email me at help. Urban H E L P U R B A N at Yahoo dot com. Excellent. All right. And I just so, I do um, workshops and that type of thing, so and training. So you can just call me if you're interested. Oh, I think I'm gonna. I think I'd like to to, to learn what you're you're teaching too. I mean, so you might expect a phone call from me sometime in the near future. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. 
Um, so let me let me get Thomas. Hey Thomas, we are coming up. Uh, we are past six thirty. Is there anything you'd like to add or ask uh, our guests before we turn it off for the evening? Nope. I just want to say thank you, Pat, for sharing your story and um, just pouring out your heart. And we'll do it again. Thanks a bunch, and so good to meet you, fresh and new, Thomas and. Letitia, I mean this for real. I'm so glad I saw you yesterday, and it's always good to see you, and I'm glad that we're all working together in the kingdom. Oh, you're so hey. sweet. It is a blessing It is a blessing always to see you. So we'll we'll uh, talk again soon, and then, yeah, probably when you have Paula on, I'll be on too. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so thank you so much for being on air with us, and we will talk to you again. Thanks for being here. Okay, thanks. You guys have a good rest of your evening. All right. Good night. Good night. That was Paula Upchurch from uh, Reclaiming Royalties Ministries, and she has served a long time helping women, um, especially in the mobile unit of Thrive, helping them with uh, counseling and ultrasounds and, and just meeting their real needs. Uh, outside the Planned Parenthood clinic, and that, you know, what she has done has been a real blessing over the years. And so, Thomas, do we have another caller on the line? Uh, well, let me see. All right. Well, while we while that, Thomas is figuring that out, I call us. Yeah, I'm on the line. One, one. Hello, you're on the air. You're on the air with Pro-Life Friday. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I don't want to switch gears too much here, but, you know, I think I have a lot of uh, strong feelings towards this topic, you know. Okay. um, Because it's just near and dear to my heart. It it tears me up. Okay, who are we talking to? John. Okay, John. And I just wanted to know what you guys think. Like, how can we get our agenda out there more? That's it. Okay. And can you give me a little context to your question? Like, what does our agenda mean and who is we? Well, what you're going to I don't want – I'm very pro-life, okay? Okay. Good to hear. I, I don't know if you all agree with that or not. Well, we, this is uh, Pro-Life Friday's radio program. Yeah, right. be here about as pro-life as it, as it gets. Right. My problem is that I know at least two or three people in the neighborhood I live in that have had abortions that, I don't want to say this because it's just so, it's difficult to even get out. They had abortions at the eight-month mark. And um, the physician performing those, I have reported them, and it's very, very disturbing to me. How can we allow this to happen? Well, well, okay. You want to go first, well, Thomas? Patricia, yeah. Let me let me let me address this first. Then I'm gonna have to sure. run. But first and foremost, you have to understand these women, the women who had the abortions while they they. It's part of their responsibility. One thing you have to also remember, 
that they're also being targeted. They're being fed the lies. I don't know if you listened to the interview of our our of our guests, but they were targeted. So the women, the women, they need to they need to be shown love, let known let known that there are there's healing for what they just went through. But the true the true enemy in this is the abortion industry itself. And how we get our agenda across is we have to not be afraid to be brutally honest with the with the purveyors of abortion, the money yep. makers, the doctors, the Planned Parenthood, all the other um, national abortion federation organizations. We have to attack them. See, the biggest mistake made by pro-lifers, they attack the women, but nothing's ever said about the ones who are truly at fault. So I will say this. Once we get, once we get um, the get the message that um, post-abortive women need to come to a place of healing, once we get that, it's going to be the post-abortive women that's going to ultimately destroy abortion. I agree with that. I think also it's on us. To, to not throw that word around so liberally because I know I have friends who um, the other night after a meal I had a friend say um, I'm so full I'm about to go abort this food baby and even though it's a joke and he just means using the restroom or whatever and take it you know I still don't think it's funny and that stuff like that just shouldn't be thrown around like that well I mean, that, that that certainly is an example of, of how our culture I don't know how, what kind of you know, sense of humor that your friend has, but you know, I don't, I don't think that any pro-life person really makes jokes like that, because we do take because it is a serious issue. Um, it, it, you know, crass jokes like that usually come from the left, who who exalts, you know, the left exalts abortion yeah. as the solution to to women's problems, when actually abortion causes more problems, health psychological, emotional, and, you know, as my friend Connie Eller said yesterday in talking about her abortion experience, it destroyed her life. And she was 17 when she got her first abortion. And let me tell you, it it went farther than that. He actually, like, after he went and aborted his food baby, as he would say, he took the turd and wrapped it up in a blanket like a... That was a troll. I know, but you know what? We, yep. I mean, that was, uh, uh, yeah. I would think you at least what have I had my button on him, but uh, let me finish uh, explaining something no, to no, him. But no, anyway, because no, I I knew where he was. I knew where he was going with that. We did not need to hear about his friend rapping. I apologize to our, our listening audience for that. Um, I had suspected this was a troll all along, but, you know, it was an opportunity, and I'll take it every time to explain yeah. to these 
people. He's a liberal. He's a troll. <laughs> Let's just call him for what he is. He's a liberal I'll, troll. It is what it is. To explain that pro-life persons like myself, like Thomas, like just about anybody in the pro-life movement. Now, there is a small segment that, who claim to be pro-life, which I will happily boot them out of that label. And we can talk about that another time. Um, but by and large, pro-life persons have respect for life. And I right. mean to say this. We have respect, whereas the left and liberals and pro-abortionists and abortion supporters of all stripes do not have any right. respect for life. So it is not surprising to me that it might have been a true story that his friend did say he wanted to abort his food baby because that is how the left makes fun. That is the kind of humor they entertain. That is the kind of sick, twisted uh, understanding of life that they have, not us, but them. And he showed it, right. you know, I think that was, I think this is a, was a fine example of how the left just doesn't have any respect, not only for the right. children that are being murdered, but for people who believe that those are children being murdered. Right. Well, Leticia, I have to take off, um, but All right. um, I will catch you, uh, well, I'll call you. But um, okay. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Uh, see you on Pro-Life Fridays next week, and I'll talk to you later. We'll see you later. All right. I want to go ahead and get to um, one of our advertised stories that we have. And what happened this week was a huge second revolution, number two, is happening in Egypt. And the story that I wanted to get to it's very, very interesting because we could, why, 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 why is the media and the president and the White House administration calling the situation, not calling the situation in Egypt, Arab Spring 2.0? Why not? Why the heck not? In Egypt, and we read you this. Headline. It says, in Egypt, the media sympathizes with the Muslim Brotherhood, persecution of Christians ignored. And the story is about the number of Christian churches that have been, been burned um, and ransacked and being attacked. Christians are being attacked in Egypt because the Muslim Brotherhood is fighting with the military in Egypt. What does one have to do with the other? Interesting story. According to a former Muslim by the name of Rabin Ibrahim, what do the things have to do with each other? It is the abuse, and he says, the abuse of Egypt's Christians has reached unprecedented levels in the modern era. Al-Qaeda's flag has been raised above their churches. Their pope is hiding under threat of death. A priest was shot in front of his church and another cop beheaded. Their children are being abducted. 
Nary a day goes by without a church being attacked or set aflame. Hate-filled graffiti covers their homes and churches. And why has the persecution reached unprecedented levels? Because the Muslim Brotherhood's Mohammed Morsi was ousted by a revolution. I thought it was a revolution the first time. I guess this is the second revolution. That saw as many as 30 million Egyptians, most of them Muslims, take to the streets. But of course... The Muslim Brotherhood does not want to admit that Muslim majorities do not favor their rule, so they scapegoat the already hated Christians, portraying them as fundamental to the ousting of Morsi. Any number of Brotherhood leaders from the General Guide, Muhammad Badi, or Badi, to the group's spiritual father, Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, all of whom publicly denounced the Coptic Pope for being supportive of the revolution and supposedly even killing Muslims. All are responsible for this rise in persecution of cops. Now, and I don't mean cops as in police, I mean Coptic Christians. Uh, and so where is this all coming from? And how dedicated are our Muslim Brotherhood supporters to this? And he writes further that, according to some Islamists, anti-Christian fury has taken on genocidal proportions. Recently, a Libyan Muslim, now this is all the way from Libya, commenting on what's happening in Egypt, named Tamar Rashad, called into a talk show saying, I want to offer, I shouldn't say that, okay, I want to offer the good news to Pope Tawadras that Allah willing, the day is coming when no cops will ever again tread the ground of Egypt, and no churches. We will no longer allow churches to exist. When the TV host appeared to protest, Rashad interrupted him, saying, it is already decided. Take your cameras and go to the churches, and you'll see what's going to happen soon. Allah willing. Um, let me put this as gently as I can. The religion of Islam is fundamentally pro-death. Anyone who, from, from this moment on, anyone who threatens my life from this moment forward only makes my point. At the heart of the Quran, in the hostile parts, you know, hostile to Jews and Christians and anyone who is not Muslim, that abrogated, those hostile parts that abrogated, so learn that word well, my friends, abrogated the more friendly parts lies the supremacy doctrine of islam what's that it is the doctrine that muslims are qualitatively better than others on earth and so can do no wrong when they act to advance or assert their religion so burning a church down is not okay, but burning a church down because Christians oppose a pro-Muslim Brotherhood leader is not just okay, it is defended. If you doubt what I'm saying, Google yourself up the Pact of Umar, or Omar. What is the Pact of Omar? It is a 7th century written decree of how life was going to be lived under the rule of a Muslim despot. And its foundation is Sharia law. In it, Christians and Jews were forced to pay the jizya, or what is or protection money, and liberals call it a tax. 
so that they would be allowed to continue to exist. Churches would not be destroyed under this law, but it was forbidden that Christians could maintain the buildings, so over time, Christian, uh, churches would just crumble to the ground. Unless, unless Christians and Jews were suspected of being seditious or didn't pay up. And then the church buildings, synagogues, and personal property property could be confiscated. Since the practice of Umar is the practical outworking of Sharia principles, I'm not surprised at the death and destruction of the Muslim Brotherhood visits on Egypt, Egypt Coptic Christians. I'm not surprised at all. After all, they're not paying the protection money. We Christians are called the worst of creatures, and Christian deaths are counted as a demonstration of Islamic superiority, per the words of the Libyan Muslim himself. Why do you think Nidal Hassan shouted Allahu Akbar when he shot dozens of servicemen at Fort Hood? Why not, I hate you? Why not, this is more the war in Iraq? Why, Allahu Akbar? Because only then is murder lawful and legitimate under Sharia law. So I wanted to point that out, that the persecution that is taking place at the hands of the Muslim Brotherhood, persecution of Christians, and I even see this article. This is Muslim Brotherhood burns a Christian orphanage in one of these towns in Egypt. Why? Why go after children? Why go after orphanages? Because it is an act of superiority. It is an act of superiority saying that Muslims can do whatever they want to Christians and Jews and anybody else because if they do it in the name of raising up Allah and raising, elevating Islam to be the superior religion of the land and all of you have to submit to that and be subjugated, then anything that is done in the name of Allah is all right. And that is fundamentally what we talk about here on Pro-Life Fridays. It is a pro-death position. It is anti-life. And for us, it is a pro-life issue. We have had on this program people who have been persecuted personally by Muslims. We have had a woman on who had experienced the first Arab Spring Revolution in Egypt, and whose fiancé was brutally murdered in the streets of Egypt. And this is not, this was before. This is before the idea that, oh, the the, the Pope. It's not right to call him the Pope. The Patriarch of the Coptic Church had not said anything at that point. And yet that revolution and the elevation of the Muslim Brotherhood was hailed as a huge success 
for democracy in Egypt by our own White House administration. And now, though, because those that were put into power afterward became as despotic as the last president of Egypt, when the military has now exerted itself again, the same White House administration won't say, yeah, that's a good thing this time, but they did the first time. In the meantime, Christians are being killed, churches are being burned, children are being left homeless, and our our government is is silent, and our media is silent about that. Well, Pro-Life Friday's radio will not be silent about that because it is a pro-life issue. Religious persecution is a pro-life issue. So we pray for our brothers and sisters who are undergoing this persecution. And that's how Christians do things. We seek ways to rescue, pray for, and not do violence to others, even though we are being dealt a lot of violence ourselves. We don't go out and behead anybody. I'm not going out to smash windows and burn buildings and burn cars, behead anyone. And that is the fundamental difference. The Christian ethic, the biblical ethic is pro-life. And on the opposite end of the spectrum is a pro-death ideology called Islam that parades as a religion. And so, yeah, that is it's a far cry from our topic at hand today um, with our guests and even that entertaining little troll that we had. That was fun. I like contradicting them. But I wanted to let everybody know that though we talk about abortion predominantly on this show, ultimately all pro-life issues, Are, are topics that Pro-Life Fridays Radio is interested in exploring, laying out the foundation, foundational ethic in the Bible and talking about how these things that are not normally thought of as pro-life issues really are. Religious persecution is one of them. We talked about honor killing. We have talked about reproductive technologies. We have talked about euthanasia, end-of-life issues slavery, sex trafficking, as well as abortion. And everything ends up being about abuse, abuse, determination of who lives or who dies of somebody innocent by somebody not so innocent. And that, my friends, is the very definition of slavery. When somebody is disposable, their life depends on whether or not someone else finds them useful on this earth, that is the exercise of slavery, of one over another. So join us next week on Pro-Life Fridays. We are going to have so much more. Oh, I we have just a minute to talk about the stupidest thing ever. And Thomas wanted to talk about the Missouri-Obama clown issue. Uh, the Obama mask, rodeo clown, 
I'll just say this in a nutshell. Yeah, that was pretty stupid because, and let me tell you this, the rodeo clowns have put on masks of presidents ever since masks of presidents have been made. And ever since rodeo clowns decided it was fun to do that from, from, I don't know, from the last week all the way back through Richard Nixon or before when masks were made of presidents. So why this is a big deal and why the, why the, the head of the oh, secretary of the NAACP wants a Secret Service investigation into this rodeo clown for wearing a mask of President Obama at the rodeo is ridiculous. And that is the stupidest thing ever. I have my own. I think I'm going to save it for next week. Why don't you join us to listen to another wonderful episode and broadcast of Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Have a great night tonight, and we will talk to you next week. Good night.